Why do you want to fight? This is the fight game with Demond Cotton. Hello and welcome to the fight game here on 12:30 the game. I am your host Demond Cotton and joining me my producer Jared Justice. And folks, we are going to hop right into it because on the phone lines joining us now is Justin Gaethje as he is challenging UFC lightweight champion Charles Oliveira this Saturday, May 7th at UFC 274 in Phoenix Arizona in Phoenix Arizona. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Oh man, we're doing good. Excited to have you on a big fight. You're fighting for the UFC lightweight title again, and I got to jump into it. The last time you fought Khabib in Abu Dhabi, those were extreme circumstances. So can you just explain those differences of how you've prepared for this fight as opposed to Khabib two years ago? Yeah, after the, I think 10 weeks before Chandler, I, I had a nutritionist and it's been, she's been handling all my meals. Um, <laughs> about 24 weeks into that, that's the, that's the biggest change I've made um, as far as my career. Um, and then, yeah, just being being in the correct time zone is, is the biggest difference. Sleep is super important to me, um, and I didn't get a lot over there. I think um, who knows? You know, maybe I could have gone earlier, tried to acclimate sooner. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter anymore. Um, this is a perfect situation, and I'm ready to be perfect. Yeah, you mentioned about maybe getting out there earlier. I know that this fight's in Arizona. You grew up in Arizona. How soon did you get out to Arizona for this week of the fight? I came out here on Sunday, so I've been here, you know, four days now. All right, and good. I'm doing every bit of it. Yeah, I see that you got. I see. I watch you on the behind the scenes on your YouTube channel. The Airbnb that you guys got looks sick. I mean, played a little golf. I mean, so in the week of the fight, I know that there's no sparring, so. What's the anticipation like as you wait for a championship fight? I mean, once once we get here, I mean, Tuesday is really when it all starts. And once Tuesday is here, it goes by so fast. I mean, just interviews after interviews, press conference today, a weight cut tonight. You know, so there's there's things to do um, to keep uh, keep that anticipation at bay. And like I mentioned before, you grew up in Arizona, went to high school out there. Is it anything special about fighting at home, or is it just business as usual? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm taking it. Uh, I made the choice to to make make it business as usual. I mean, it's going to be a great experience when it's all said and done. It will be something that you know we get to talk about as a family with all my friends. But for right now, the zip code does not matter. All right, and and one thing about growing up in Arizona, I saw that you played quarterback in Arizona, and I also do a show on Raider Nation Radio, and Max Crosby, if he was picking the UFC football team, he said he would pick you as the kicker, and he said he would pick Conor McGregor as the quarterback, and you took some shots at him on Twitter saying, have you seen this guy throw the ball? So when you were playing QB in high school, how good were you? Oh, I wouldn't say I was great. I wasn't, I don't know. I was an athlete, you know, um, we ran a lot of options, um, but nothing crazy. All right, I man. definitely couldn't go. I don't think I was good enough to go on and play, uh, play, play bigger. Oh, no, you definitely made the right career choice as you were one of the most exciting fighters in the UFC. I read in an interview earlier that you said champions can't make mistakes, and that's why you work so hard in training camp. What are some of the um, pitfalls that you have to avoid when you're fighting a fighter such as Charles Oliveira stature? Yeah, I mean, I really got to not worry about him, you know, too much. Um, he's, he's a great, great athlete. He's dangerous. 
in the stand-up. He's dangerous with the submission grappling. And his confidence is at an all-time high, so he's going to be extra dangerous. But, you know, at the end of the day, i got to be my, the best Justin Gaethje. And if they can beat the best Justin Gaethje, that's, you know, I can't expect more of myself. Again, we're talking to Justin Gaethje, the number one contender for the UFC lightweight championship as he's taking on Charles Oliveira this Saturday at UFC 274. And you mentioned that he's dangerous with the submissions, but you have some of the best takedown defense in the division. So does that help you train for this fight or maybe your confidence for the fight that you know that not many people in this division can take you down? Only Khabib has taken you down. So you know that he's going to have to fight your style of fight and stand and trade with you. Yeah, I mean, and, and at the end of the day, you know, he's a champion for a reason. He, he's great all the way around. So that's the fight I want to fight, you know, obviously. But, you know, it's still a dangerous fight. Yeah, and you are one of the most exciting fighters, entertaining fighters, six-time fight of the night performance, six-time fight of the nights, and three-time performance of the night. What goes into your mentality when you step into that octagon? Are you looking to put on a show for the fans, or are you just trading and banging and that's just your style and how you like to fight no matter who the opponent is yeah that's just who i am um I, wrestling is, tends to be boring and my my matches were the most exciting matches every match or every dual match or tournament yeah i'm a performer i like to show off and this is the perfect uh event and avenue to, to take for me to be able to do that on a huge stage yeah, this is one of the biggest fights of your career, and it's going to be five rounds. And that training going into the five-round fight, do you think that your your cardio, you're always prepared for the five rounds, or is it something that you have to take up that extra notch to train for a championship fight? I mean, I got um, I have so much experience with five-round fights. I defended my belt with World Series of Fighting six times, you know, including the title shot. There was seven. My last seven fights with World Series of Fighting was five-round fights. This is my eighth um, headliner. You know, this is the eighth time I'm the main event for the UFC, and every main event is a five-round fight. I mean, so we're, we're looking at, you know, 15 out of my last 17 fights that have been five-round fights. This is, this is who I am. This is what I train for. I'm a championship fighter, championship round. Out of those fights, we've never gone the distance. Uh, out of all 25 of them or 15 of them, so... Yeah, you can pretty much count that this one's not going to this. <laughs> and then also with your training, I see that you've been training with Kamaru Usman and Rose Namajunas with iron sharpening iron. Iron. How has it been fighting and training with fellow champions? It's it's amazing. I mean, you know, we draw inspiration off each other. We pick each other up. Um, we, we bring each other down when our heads are getting too big. You know, it's, it's really cool to cool to be around this environment. And we got the best coach in the world. And yeah, he's. Uh, he's a, I wouldn't rather be on any team. That's for sure. Oh no! You mentioned like you know when your head gets too big. Now this is one of the biggest fights of your career, and you're coming in as the underdog. But do you have that confidence, or do you? Can you look ahead when you have such a huge fight ahead of you? Because I know that the lightweight division is stacked. But are you even looking ahead? Because I hear that a lot of people are chirping at you on Twitter and everything, and you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. I don't look ahead. I mean. Those, you know, everybody is irrelevant right now. The only thing that matters is Charles Oliveira. He's the only guy that I need to worry about. Yeah, and that run that he mentioned that he's been on, and you mentioned his confidence. Does it matter to you, like how he's preparing for the fight, or is it just you have to be the best, Justin Gaethje? Because I know that Charles Oliveira, he's been on a hot streak unlike any other, but we've seen him get beat before. He has 
Yeah. There's only like, but this, you know, you get what I'm saying. That this recent streak, this is new, but we've seen him get beat before. So does that help you out? He's not like Khabib, where it's man, we've never seen anybody crack his armor. You know that there are things that you do. You know that he that the chin has been sus before. That he is, he can you can knock him out. Is what I'm saying. Does that help you going into that fight knowing that he can be beat? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it helps. You know, it helps the confidence. But at the end of the day, I got to be the best, best me. Um, you know, and with the with the circumstances being perfect, um, you know, there's there's going to be no problem with me making zero mistakes, being the best I've ever been, uh, being the hardest I've ever been to beat. And again, if he can do that, and if he comes out on top, then you know, I'll have nothing but praise for him. All right, and also earlier you mentioned the cut. How has that been? How has the cutting of weight been for you? And what are you normally walking around at before you start making your cut for the fight? Uh, we, we, we start working our way down. You know, when I got here, I was probably around 170, about 164 right now, 165. So, yeah, tonight, you know, I won't go to bed until I weigh 155 pounds, wake up in the morning, make weight, and get back up to around 170 as soon as possible. Oh, man, you mentioned, like, getting up to 170, and I know that you fighters, it's a process that you've been doing it for so long and your body's just used to it. As of right now, is it just common nature for you because you've been doing it for so long and that you don't even have to think about it that much? Yeah, 100%. My body is a machine. Uh, for some reason, it knows. It knows when we got to make weight. It's only twice a year now, but it's a long process. You know, it's, like I said, I've been eating very specific food for 24 weeks. And my, I think my body looks different. You know, I feel different. And yeah, it's, it's going to make this weight cut that much easier. When it comes, and it's to never easy. You've got to dehydrate yourself. Uh, imagine being as thirsty as you've ever been and not being able to take a drink for twelve hours. Uh, you know, it's not fun. And you mentioned all the all the food that you've been eating. Do you have a nutritionist on plan, or are you someone that you can count the macros and, and the calories all by yourself, or is there someone on your team that just gives you the food? And you just eat what they tell you to eat. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, 24 weeks, I hired a nutritionist. She comes to my house at 5 p.m., serves dinner at 6.30 p.m., and has all, you know, three smoothies and, and, a, and a lunch ready for the next day. And, yeah, 24 weeks into that. So, now I haven't been to the grocery store in a while. I always thought I was eating healthy, but it turns out I never was. Honey, you said 24 weeks. So the, so, the diet changes 24 weeks out for a fight? No, no. So, I... um. I hired her 10 weeks before Chandler. Okay, okay. I took two, took two weeks off after the Chandler fight, and I got it right back. And so, you know, around 24 weeks. Who knows? I haven't done the math. Okay. And the, but it's, <laughs> and I, do, I, did a, I did 14 weeks for this camp. Oh, okay. And then you said that you're only fighting two times a year now. Now that you've made it to essentially the top of the mountain you got this championship fight coming up do you think that are you still grinding are you still as hungry because you like you said two fights per year so now you have to be the best Justin Gaethje only two times a year or as opposed I'm sure before when you were starting your career you were grinding and fighting as much as possible to make a name for yourself how have you seen your career change in just that now you're at the top and maybe things are when it Basically, the money situation is different around fighting, so that way you don't have to struggle as much. How is that difference between when you first started fighting to now? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's much different. I mean, yeah, the, uh, you know, it takes, it takes some funds to do things right, and when you start, you do not get paid anything. Um, no fighter comes from, 
from wealth, you know, or very little. If you come from wealth, you're a dumbass if you're choosing to fight for a living. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's um, that's pretty much who we all are. You know, we all want to make a make a name for ourselves, create a legacy, and ultimately, you know, create some financial stability in our life. And this is, you know, the best. I wanted to be a professional athlete, and this is my option. All right, and that you are you. I think that just off of the performances that you give, you're a potential Hall of Famer. I think that you are going to be a UFC Hall of Famer when it's all said and done because your resume speaks for itself. But before I let you get out of here, again, we're talking to Justin Gaethje, UFC lightweight contender, as he's going to take on UFC lightweight champion Charles Oliveira this Saturday, May 7th in Phoenix. But I've got to ask you, Nate Diaz, he's irrelevant to you. I know. Why is this guy chirping at you? He, it's been a while since he's been relevant when it comes to top-ranked opponents. But he's calling you out. Do you, and I saw you, you chirped back at him at Twitter a little bit, but do you really care? No. No, I, I could care less. I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care, I don't care what. My coaches, myself, that's all that matters right now. I, I, can, I get to be selfish two times a year, and I don't give anybody thinks right now. All right. And oh, man, this is a family program, but I love it because I can tell that you're. (laughs) No, it's all good, man. I can tell that you're fired up and you're ready for this fight because you are one of those fighters that I've never seen. You're not big of a trash talker. You don't let your emotions get the best of you, no matter who the opponent is. But Charles Oliveira, he's also a laid back type of fighter. So how is the how is the promo for this week been? The fact that you guys are both two even kill fighters and it's basically just getting into the octagon on Saturday, but there hasn't been that big bombastic the fight. Yeah, I mean it's it's all on paper. Twenty submissions for him, nineteen knockouts for me. Uh two of the best in the world in the most exciting division in the world. This uh, you know for one there's a language barrier, so it's gonna be difficult no matter what. But the way he performs, the way I perform, people know. You know, people, real fight fans know that this is going to be a special fight. Yeah, you no doubt about that because you are, like I said, one of the most entertaining fighters in the UFC. And Justin, I'm going to let you get out of here, man. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you taking so much time out for us. Absolutely. You guys enjoy the show. All right, will do. And that's Justin Gaethje, and he is taking on Charles Oliveira this Saturday, May 7th, in Phoenix, Arizona, for the UFC lightweight championship of the world. When we come back, we're going to preview UFC 274 a little bit more. This is the fight game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to the fight game. All right, we are back here on the fight game on 12:30 the game and we jumped into the interview with Justin Gaethje so fast that we didn't let Jared even have a second to introduce himself. How you doing, Jared? Uh, I've been better. Uh Really got to stay on that dump button. <laughs> Always got to have got to be yeah. got to be quicker. Yeah, got to be, be a little better. Uh I have to be better at my job. Uh, do you want me to real quick update last week's poll? We left it open all week because, you know, obviously we got to give people time from the podcast. Uh, if you had to start a promotion, who is your number one pick? My, the option I threw out was Tyson Fury. You said Jake Paul. Uh, Usman was another option we put out there and then other. So coming in last place is Usman. Which isn't, I mean, you know, that was the one that we sort of put out there as like, yeah, great option, good, good, good option. 
Other came in third with 10%. Jake Paul came in second with 25, which means I was right. 56% of the voters, Tyson Fury. Hopefully, we will put up another poll next week, and we will get more information, get more interaction from our lovely listeners. Yeah, hey, but there's still time for a poll today as we get into this preview of UFC 274 that you can watch on ESPN Plus. That as we run down this card, this is a pretty good card. We're just going to break down the main card as we start here. Starting first with a lightweight bout, this is the old man that still has it fight. As you got Cowboy Donald Cerrone taking on Joe Lozon. And you got Cowboy, he is willing to stand and trade with anybody. He is. These are two of the most decorated guys in the UFC. Jared, you smile a little bit because these guys, they have been fighting since I was a teenager. Maybe even preteen where it's just like, oh, I remember these guys in the UFC. And it's so exciting that the UFC is just like, hey, we know that you guys aren't prime, you know, top-ranked contenders, so we're going to have you battle each other. And for the nostalgia, I'm all in. I just always, anytime you go with the battle of two old men, I'm reminded of the uh, the late Kimbo Slice fighting, was it Dada? <laughs> and it was like, oh no, neither of you should still be doing this. Oh no, these guys have way more <laughs> skill than that. You got to give them more credit than that. But in this fight... I know Joe is more of a submission expert, but I'm going to take the Cowboy. Man, I am excited to see this fight no matter what. And as we move on in this card, we've got Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Ovince St. Preux. And this is one where OSP is a very hard hitter. Shogun used to be the UFC light heavyweight champion of the world until he met John Jones. But Shogun is the favorite in this fight, and in this one here, I think... Oh, no, I read that wrong. OSP is the younger fighter. He's the favorite in this fight. But I'm going to take Shogun because he is also another one of those fighters who's been in my mind since 05 as, man, this guy's one of the best in the world. And so far, the theme is just going to be the old man still got it as I'm taking Shogun. And I know that you know who either of these fighters are. But if you had to pick... I mean, I I think that there's a large group of people in the UFC that were that were, hey, I got this until they met John Jones. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's go with Shogun. Next up, we have a lightweight bout between Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. This is also going to be an extremely entertaining fight as you have two guys who are willing to stand and trade. Both of these is fight, both of these guys' fight with Justin Gaethje was incredible. His last fight with Michael Chandler, which won fight of the night, and he it was an absolute war. If you ask Justin, I did a, watched a couple of interviews with him before he came on, and he said, what do you mean it was a war? He hit me like three times. I was doing all the, I was doing all the punching, but it was still in Madison Square Garden. That was a fight of the night performance, and you've got two guys that he's recently defeated going at it against each other with Michael Chandler being the favorite in this fight. Tony Ferguson, I think he has lost it. The fact that that Khabib fight never materialized, that's for the fight that, hey, Tony Ferguson, he, can he fight Khabib? Maybe he could have been the one, but injuries or anything else that got in the way of the fight just never materialized. And I think that his day in the sun is past him. And Michael Chandler, I think he's going to want to avenge that loss to Justin Gaethje. So I'm going to go with Michael Chandler in this fight here. I mean, I like anyone who, who basically people say, it was a war, and it was like, no, he just stood there and let me hit him. Hey, he stood there and let you hit him, and he it didn't. It, 
That's a skill in and of itself. So let's go Chandler. And we have for the women's strawweight title, Rose Namajunas versus Carla Esperanza. And Rose is one of the best women's fighters of all time. And I don't see anyone dethroning her anytime soon. As we mentioned before, when we talked to Justin Gaethje, he's been doing a little training with Rose, you know, a part of the same team. And it's just one of those iron sharpening iron. I mentioned it to him as well, that I just do not see her losing. She is a warrior. She's one of the best to ever do it. So for the women's strawweight title, the co-main event, I'm taking Rose Namajunas. I'm going to just nod and say, okay, because I have no idea. I have not. We have gone beyond my my knowledge. All right, and it's time for the main event of the evening, the UFC 274 lightweight title, Charles Oliveira versus Justin Gaethje. And I know we had him on the show. He is a bit of an underdog at plus 145. But I like the underdog in this fight. I like Justin Gaethje. Charles Oliveira, this hot streak that he has been on, it's been unprecedented for someone that they were looking as just a journeyman in his career, Charles Oliveira. But then it finally clicked for him. He finally got that confidence. He is one of the best submission experts in the UFC. But if you're not going to be able to take Justin Gaethje down, which he has some of the best takedown defense in the division, he might maybe try to get him with a trip or a sweep. But I don't think that that's going to happen. And if you got to stand and trade with him, I'm going to take Gaethje and I'm going to give him a knockout because he finishes most of his fights. So I'm going to maybe a third or a fourth round knockout because I don't see Charles Oliveira getting him into a position to where he does get him in a submission and make him tap. What I really liked that he said during your interview was he said, I've trained for a bunch of five, five round fights. I, uh, the last, uh, you know, I've done eight of these things. They don't go five rounds. But I've trained for five rounds, and that, that's the type of swagger that I'm like, okay, I like this guy. Plus, he's, he was on the show. I ha- you have to go with that guy. All right, Jared, so that'll be the poll for today. Who you got, Charles Oliveira or Justin Gaethje? And we can put that on the poll. That can be the poll for today. And when we come back, we're going to have on Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal to recap Shakur Stevenson versus Oscar Valdez that happened this past Saturday here in Las Vegas. Don't miss it. We'll be right back on fight on the fight game on 1230 the game. Welcome back to the fight game. All right, we are back here on the fight game on 1230 the game. And I'm pleased to introduce my next guest, Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. What's going on with you, Sam? What's up, Damon? How you doing, man? Appreciate you having me on the show. Congrats on getting everything going. And um, and it's an honor and privilege to to be talking to you today, man. Oh, man, an honor and a privilege. Take it easy, man. It's an honor and a privilege for me (laughs) to be talking to you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thursday. All right. And before we look ahead in the fight game, let's take a few steps back because last Saturday, Shakur Stevenson put on a show as he defeated Oscar Valdez to become the unified super featherweight champion of the world. So what did you think about that fight? And because I thought that Shakur Stevens, he put on a masterful performance. Some people are comparing him to Mayweather, but I do like the fact that it was just so technically sound and there was really nothing for Oscar Valdez to do to affect him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those comparisons are natural, right? Because of some, you know, he has so many of the gifts that, that Floyd had, the hand speed, the, the, the movement, the, the ability to control the pace and the tempo of the fight with his defense. Uh, and now we're starting to see some of the power, right? Some of the power that, that's emerging as he, you know, approaches age 25. I think that was one of kind of the critiques that a lot of people had with Shakur earlier in his career. Is does he have the pop? Can he, can he fight in an entertaining way? 
Well, I think the answer is yes, Damon, and I think that's what he showcased uh, against Oscar Valdez. Like you said, to me, that wasn't that fight wasn't so much about what Valdez did or didn't do. It's about what Shakur Stevenson did and, and, and the way he was able to disarm him and take away his tools. So um, that's definitely a, uh, a signature performance. I mean, obviously the finest performance of his burgeoning superstar career. Um, and definitely one that, that I think is going to propel him in, uh, on a bigger and better things. But um, to me, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he made a statement on Saturday uh, as one of the top 10 pound-for-pound fighters in boxing. Uh, you know, you're going to see the list as they come out. Um, I'd be surprised if more and more didn't include him. That's the kind of uh, fighter he is. And he, he showcased to me that night the, the, the combination of tools um, that I think can make him the number one pound-for-pound fight, fighter in the sport uh, eventually. There are going to be big fights on the horizon for him and absolutely masterful performance, and, and he's just getting started. So that 130 division, it is stacked, and I don't see him moving up to 135 so soon yet. So what do you think is next for him as the challengers go? Yeah, I think that's a great question, right? Um, we know the move to 135 pounds is going to eventually be uh, coming. That's, that's where the money's at. That's where a lot of the big fights are at. But the fight that would intrigue me the most um, at 130 is obviously, you know, Vasily Lomachenko. I mean, to me, that stylistically, that's an excellent matchup. Two technicians. Um, Lomachenko a little bit more offensive oriented uh, Stevenson a little bit more defensive oriented but a fight like that um, and it's just Shakur Stevenson to be able to beat Vasily Lomachenko if that matchup does come into fruition that could take him even to the next level in terms of superstardom because Lomachenko um, is such a global superstar and let's not forget he had plans to mind the fight George Cambosis for the 135 pound titles um, down in Australia that of course fell through mm-hmm. with, with everything going on in, in the Ukraine and whatnot so that's Kind of a, you know, first and foremost, we hope he's okay and, and everything's going well for him. But once he resumes, this feels to me like kind of a natural pause in his career where maybe he goes back down to 130, takes what would be a mega fight uh, against Shakur, be very lucrative for both sides, promote both, uh, both fighters, and certainly do a lot for Shakur Stevenson uh, in terms of help building him up before he makes that move to 135 pounds. So that's the fight I want to see. I think there'll be a lot of commercial intrigue uh, behind that and a matchup of two unbelievable technicians that are, you know, among the best in the world at what they do. All right, now moving ahead to this Saturday, as we've got Canelo fighting, and he is the biggest fighter in the sport. There's nobody bigger than Canelo Alvarez as he's taking on Dimitri Bivol. So is this going to be another cakewalk for Canelo? I know that he's fighting the best that they can put in front of him, but I feel like he hasn't had a legitimate challenger in so long. Yeah, it certainly feels that way, right? DeMond, probably going back to, I mean, maybe Triple G made such quick work of everybody else, either, you know, with stoppages or, or looking really, really impressive over the course of the 12 rounds. I do think Dimitri Bivol is, is his toughest uh, matchup, uh, certainly since, since Triple G, Gennady Golovkin, back in 2018. And you take a look at, at his skill set, the things he has, he has the requisite tools to, to make it difficult on, on Canelo. Just seeing this, the two up close and personal this week um, at Fight Week with all the festivities down in MGM Grand, uh, Dimitri Bivol, naturally the bigger fighter, is not even close. I mean, he's considerably bigger than Canelo, both taller, and he's, I expect him to be in the ring, you know, much heavier than Canelo, probably 10 or 15 pounds uh, heavier when they do do battle on Saturday night. He's got an excellent jab. That's a, a very valuable tool to control distance against Canelo. And it's a, it's a scoring jab. It's not just one um, that he's using to measure that distance. He can score with it and, and make things difficult. Um, and he moves really, really well. I mean, he moves all around the ring. He's not going to be standing uh, in front of Canelo Alvarez trying to exchange with him. He, he's going to come in there with a game plan, a very technically sound game plan. And I, I do see him being able to, uh, to win some rounds against Canelo, especially early on, because we know Canelo's, uh, I guess you could say, a notoriously slow, slow starter. But, but all things considered, uh, when you take a look at what Canelo, Canelo Alvarez is right now, a 31-year-old 
prime of his career. He's got all the tools, everything you want to see um, in the pound for pound number one fighter. He's excellent defensively. He's super fundamentally sound, skills polished, and he does have um, knockout power. He's the best body puncher in boxing. So I would expect, as the fight wears on, that we see Canelo do what he does, go to the body, you know, cut off the ring, find a way to break him down, and then try for the stoppage um, late. But but Dimitri Bivol is definitely going to make things difficult on him. It's his toughest fight uh, in quite some time, and, and it's a, that, that's part of the reason um, it's such a compelling matchup. Maybe he doesn't have the name power or firepower uh, that some of the other fighters that were offered to, to fight Canelo have. Uh, but in terms of matchup, stylistically, he definitely is a, a serious challenge for Canelo Alvarez. Now, I know that fighters like Canelo, he's not looking ahead, but we can look ahead as much as we want because yeah. Canelo, you put out a piece and it was like that if he wins this, Triple G, Gennady Golovkin might be the front runner for Canelo's next fight. I've seen Charlo thrown out there. There was even the, hey, Earl Spence would have fought him at this weight if they could have got a deal to agree to that. So if he does, in fact, win this next fight, as we all expect him to do, is Triple G that next contender? Yeah, yeah, he'll fight Triple G next month. That's that's locked and loaded. It's just kind of a matter of, of ironing out details and where that's going to be. Uh, but Canelo has to win on Saturday first, and then we can start looking ahead um, to Triple G. I think that is commercially still probably the biggest matchup in boxing. The, the first two matchups between those two guys each did over more than a, more than a million pay per view buys a piece. So there's a, a lot of commercial interest in that fight still, even as though Triple G. Uh, is 40, and I, I think still it has the potential to be an extremely entertaining fight. When we saw Triple G fight last month um, against Murata over in Japan, yes, he started slow. There was you know, the layoff, I think, had some effect on him, and he doesn't move quite as well as he did before. He was never the most mobile fighter, but the power is still there. The pop is still there, the way he was able to finish Murata late in the fight. Uh, I believe it was in the ninth round. There, there's, it's, and that jab is still sharp. He still has some tools. Again, that, that's what you would expect to trouble Canelo, and, and that fight's going to be contested at 168 pounds where Canelo's the undisputed champion. So uh, it's not maybe what it, what, what, what it would have been, you know, two or three years ago, but I think it's still an incredibly compelling fight. I, I think Canelo has a number of considerable advantages uh, at this stage of their respective careers given the eight-year age difference. Uh, but when that fight does happen, you know, and hopefully that's here, Eddie Hearn yesterday said that this is the front runner uh, for that fight to take place, prospective date September 17th. Uh, if when that fight you know does arrive and, and does come, I, it's going to be super exciting. It's going to be one of those uh, awesome fight weeks in Vegas, just like the one we're having right now. There's a lot of electricity uh, building around this Canelo fight and with with B-ball, and, and then we'll see what happens after that. But uh, he he has a tall order on Saturday, and let's see how he does. Again, I expect him to, to put B-ball away late, but let's see how he does against a, a game challenger, Dimitri B-ball. Hold on, because let's take it back a little bit further with Canelo and Triple G. That first fight, <laughs> I've got to ask you, that yeah. first fight is a draw. I had Triple G winning it. Did you think it was a draw, or did you think that maybe um, that one fighter either way edged him out? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's one of the you know kind of the most captivating fights and compelling fights that we've had in, in boxing in the last you know five, ten, fifteen years. Very, very memorable for the reason you just said. Now, I will explain. When I was in the arena um, that night, that was one of the first fight cards I covered here in person in Las Vegas. I thought Triple G won the fight just based on. Mm-hmm. What I was seeing, the, the way the way the tempo of the fight, the way it was unfolding, uh, he seemed like the more active fighter. He certainly was was, was bringing the offense that one Canelo with a little bit more defensive oriented approach in the first one. Uh, so to me, it looked like Triple G won seven eight rounds. Now going back and watching that fight on the broadcast, taking the commentary out of it, so you don't hear the crowd's reaction or anything like that. Just watching the fight, I go back on TV and score that six six. But one of the scorecards, whatever it was that favored Canelo one eighteen one oh nine, I can't remember what it was. 
That was absurd. We understand that. That, that, that fight was much, much, much closer than that. There's no way uh, Canelo that won that many rounds. I, I do think um, it was a sound victory uh, in the rematch. Close, very competitive fight, uh, but a sound victory for Canelo. I think his stylistic change is more aggressive coming forward. Pressing Triple G made the, the world of difference, and I would expect him to take a similar uh, approach uh, in, the, in the trilogy. I think that, that one is going to you know, end in a stoppage, I think. Um, at this point, you know, Triple G is going to be swinging for defenses, and Canelo, as powerful and as technically sound as he is, has the tools uh, to stop Triple G if he breaks him down to the body. But it's going to be compelling, and that's why this fight is happening. Again, still a lot of uh, commercial and public interest in, in that matchup, and uh, that's going to be exciting when it happens down the road. Again, we're talking to Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review-Journal. And Sam, something that I want to circle back to because I forgot to ask you as soon as we started, but I remember as soon as it happened, I saw the videos that you posted the post-fight brawl in the lobby of MGM between Shakur Stevenson's camp and I don't know un- un- unnamed. Did we ever get to the bottom of that? Did we figure out what the fight or who it was even between? Yeah, I, I mean a lot of you know the reports were that that it involved that there was a couple people that that attacked or, or approached um, Shakur Stevenson's mom, and, and that's kind of what um, what got everything going. But it, it just you could feel some some tension building. Um, demand that night just between security and, and between people um, after the fight. Spectators on board, I don't think it was all members of, of the respective camps. I think there was just kind of a lot of people hanging out after the fight, and um, there was a little bit of tension building, and you could feel things kind of start to escalate. Now, I didn't know um, that a, you know, a, a brawl was going to happen or whatever you want to call that. I was able to, to get some video that my colleague Jonah Dillon tweeted off of his account. Um, fortunately, it, does, it doesn't seem, at least to my knowledge, that anybody was hurt too bad. Uh, but just a reminder that, you know, um, if, you know, for, for, for boxing fans, for people who go to fights and stuff like that, like these are, you know, athletes of the highest order. They do have commitments and obligations and stuff to fulfill afterwards and just to kind of take it easy and, and give them some space. I think we're starting to see, you know, not just in boxing, but in sports in general, you have fans running out onto the court, fans, you know, interacting with players in an inappropriate way. There still needs to be some boundaries and barriers in between you know, athletes and fans, and I think you just kind of saw those boundaries blurred a little bit. Fortunately, um, you know, everything was off, and it doesn't seem like anything was too bad, and, and we, you know, we can move on because it was Shakur's moment to meet with the media and celebrate his victory and whatnot, and uh, unfortunately, that was, you know, that, that altercation took away from it. But again, as far as I know, nobody hurt too badly, and, and everybody can, uh, can move forward and, and, and go forward from there. All right, and another fighter that was on that card last Saturday, Nico Ali Walsh. Because I had him on the show, got the 5-0, and got the first round knockout. I was kind of surprised when I saw the knockout there, just the way he set him up, boom, boom, and he was down. What's his career trajectory looking like going forward? Because obviously he's being put in a good position by top rank by being on the main card of an ESPN card. But what is the realistic projections looking for him going forward? Yeah, I think from a, from a fight, you know, from a, a career trajectory standpoint, I think it's a little too soon to tell, but there is – Definitely a, a great strategy in place to develop him into that, at the very least, being a commercial draw, right? I think he's very polarizing uh, for obvious reasons, being Muhammad Ali's grandson and then having a couple, you know, slow showings earlier in his career. I thought there was a very questionable um, decision that he was awarded on the Vasily Lomachenko card um, back in December where he was really pushed and, and challenged um, at Madison Square Garden. But what, what we saw on Saturday was we saw a fighter that, that committed to improving and, and looked a little sharper and was using his repertoire and setting up, like you said, setting up different shots. Uh, I think one thing is clear. He has power. Like, that much is clear. He's got some pop. Uh, that was a one-hitter quitter. You know, I don't, I don't care what level of opposition 
um, you're fighting, to be able to do that shows that, that he has some power and some tools um, that can be worked with. But there, there still needs to be some refinement in terms of the boxing. You know top rank is going to do an excellent job uh, matchmaking and making sure that he gets in the proper position to develop his, his skill set and develop his tools. And then, you know, we'll have a, an opportunity to see how far he could really go. There was limited amateur experience, and, and I think that, you know, plays a factor in, in where he's at right now in terms of his skill set. But uh, there, there's definitely a plan in place. And, and you know, the, he, he was booed a little bit going out to the ring, I think, again, because of, you know, the polarizing nature of who he is. And by the end of the night, uh, that same crowd was cheering, was chanting Ali and chanting his name. Um, he won him over. It was a really, really impressive performance and a, you say a feel-good moment. Uh, for the Las Vegas native in front of a hometown crowd that, that was really uh, really enthralled by his performance. All right. The man, the myth, the legend, the coolest man on the planet, Sam Gordon. Before you get out of here, let people know what you got coming out that we need to be on the lookout for. Yeah, I'm going to be at the uh, the final press conference. Canelo Alvarez, Dimitri Bivol today. I'll have something on Dimitri Bivol and Canelo Alvarez uh, in time for this weekend, and then we'll have full fight coverage uh, this weekend as well. My colleague Jonah Dillon is going to be at the fight with me, so... Um, it's going to be a great night. It has that big fight field week, um, DeMond. It's been a while since Canelo Alvarez has fought here for Cinco de Mayo 2019, and we're going to be all over it on ReviewJournal.com. So appreciate you having me on the show, man, and enjoy the fight this weekend. All right, thank you for coming on with me. No doubt. Talk soon. All right, and that was Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. When we come back, you'll hear my conversation with UFC Bantamweight champion Aljermaine Sterling as we had a time to sit down for a quick little interview at Finley Toyota this past this past Tuesday, excuse me, I forgot the date there when I talked to Aljermaine Sterling. Don't go anywhere. This is the fight game on 1230 The Game. Welcome back to the fight game. All right, and we are back here on the fight game on 1230 The Game. Now, I got to talk to UFC Bantamweight champion Aljermaine Sterling as he was out at Finley Toyota doing a saw, uh, doing an autograph signing, taking photos for fans. It was a really good turnout, but I was very fortunate that the champ gave me a few minutes of his time, and you can listen to that now. I'm here at Finley Toyota with UFC Bantamweight champion Aljermaine Sterling. Hey, how you doing today? Doing great. It's a beautiful day out here in beautiful Las Vegas. All right, man. Now, you out here, you're signing autographs, taking pictures with fans. I know you live here in Vegas. How important is it to you to be out here in the community in Vegas? I think it's huge. I think just to let people know that I'm actually here and uh, I'm, a, I'm involved in part of the community. I think it's a, a good thing for athletes and just people who live around the, the neighborhood to just get involved and make sure they're showing their faces, especially when you're doing positive things in, uh, in your life. All right, now you're the UFC Bantamweight champion. You fight at 135, and me and Jed, my engineer here, we was like, man, he, he walks around a little bigger at 135, and I know you really don't like to disclose that, but what's your walking around weight, man? Uh, this morning I was 68 and a half. Um, I've gotten up as heavy as 176 and a half. Try not to stay up there too too long. That's really just after the, a hard weight cut. So right now I'm trying to slim down a little bit. The fiance was in town, so we <laughs> indulged a little bit. But now I'm trying to get back um, the weight in order. Oh, uh, no, I saw you on the Grammy, man. You was living it up. It was one of those, I need to be a part of the entourage, man. You're going out to the to the pools, you know, out here at nice dinners. How's it become, how's it been since being that unified champion, undisputed champion, that now you don't have the people talk about, oh, well, this, that, or the other. You went in there, you beat Peter Yan, like, Without a doubt, how good does that feel to get that? Make I, I want to say monkey off your back because hey, you were the champ to me even before this fight. Yeah, for real. I uh, for me, I felt like I was a champ when I beat Corey Sanhagen, but to to beat him the way I did, uh, I think it just makes it that much sweeter to enjoy the victory and to take my victory lap and not have anyone be able to criticize anything. Um, at this point, the, 
you got some of the uh, the trolls that are now grasping at straws because the Jan by anything he wants, Jan by this or one hand behind his back kind of thing kind of backfired on them. And uh, I got to prove that I am who I say I am. Yeah, but and another thing I asked you about the walk around weight because I just thought you were just too big for him. Like in that fight when it finally came around, how big of that was like in your preparation for the fight? Maybe to know that you're going to have a bit of a size advantage on him. Well, I feel like I have the size advantage on most of these guys. Um, and I think that's what also kind of, it, it's like a benefit, but it also hurts me a little bit because when I do rehydrate, I feel like I lose a little bit of my conditioning um, just with such a drastic weight cut. Like you can't recover everything in such a short amount of time. So I, I do think some of it kind of gets hindered a little bit, but uh, for the most part, I do a pretty good job of rehydrating and getting out there and, and competing with the best guys in the world. So f for me, the size advantage is always going to be a huge thing, and these guys are going to have an advantage in different departments, and I think that's why you fight, because you never know what you bring to the table on that fight night, and that's what makes it exciting for, for the fans to watch. All right, and you you, saw, you already mentioned the trolls and people coming at you, and I see some, play, some fighters saying, like, oh, I want them next. Who do you want to see next? I don't know. I haven't really given it much thought. If, if I did have to pick, it's probably TJ. Uh, TJ Pillashaw. I mean, TJ Noodleshaw. I mean, <laughs> oh, man. I, I, keep, I keep doing that. <laughs> yeah, probably TJ. Um, maybe sometime in the, in the fall. Right now, I'm on vacation. I had 13 months of people chirping me. Rehab, PT, training camps falling through. And uh, I think it's now a much-deserved vacation. And just get, let, let my body heal up. And I think that's the most important thing. Let my body heal up. Let my, my brain, my mind rest from the thoughts of fighting and get back to missing it so that when I'm stepping back in the training room, it doesn't feel like it's a, it's a drag, you know, because sometimes you can get beat up like that if you're so heavily consumed. And uh, I think when you miss it, you have a little bit more of a spark in training and you, and you want to be there. Like right now, I don't want to be there. I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor. And then I think in a couple more weeks, I'll be ready to go again and get back to doing my job all right and you mentioned vacation so what are you doing for fun How, what are you doing to decompress we've been going to a lot of pool parties <laughs> a lot of pool parties uh a little bit of the nightlife but for the most part i mean i don't even like the, the clubs like that I, I like to just hang out with my friends my family um it's a tough job because you know what's interesting about it is once you fight your friends and your training partners they're in training camp so you don't get to hang out with them because now they're focused on on themselves and then you have your fiance uh she works and she goes to school so she's busy so i'm kind of like well what do i do now i'm kind of by myself right now you know so um i'm just making most of it just trying to find little things here and there to occupy my time and um wrecking some people in chess you know oh wow chess <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's giving somebody a look here on his team so i'm guessing that's who you're beating right there yeah in chess. yeah he's he's catching those l's <laughs> all right, okay. I mean, all right, man. Well, thank you for your time today. Enjoy the success that you keep having, man, because I really root for you. You're one of those fighters where I'm just like, yo, I love it when people troll you. I remember I was watching the fights at Twin Peaks, and a buddy, he like he he had his card. He had his parlay, and he said, all I need is for Jan to win. And yeah. I looked at him, and I was laughing my ass off when he had to just rip up that <laughs> ticket because I was like, I don't know why you bet against him in the first place. Yeah, parlay record, man. It, my thing is like – to, to discredit me that much to think I don't have a chance is kind of crazy just based on the body of work that I've done. But it is what it is. I like get, making my friends money. So if they want to keep making me the underdog, keep doing that because, like I said before, we're going to make Long Island rich and we're going to make a whole lot of other people rich as well. All right, man. Thank you for your time today. Thank you, bro. All right, and that was my conversation with UFC Bantamweight champion Aljermaine Sterling, the funk master. And now it's time to get into a segment that we like to call A Few Good Minutes with Jared. Let's get it on! All right, Jared, what you got today? All right. So 
I don't know if you've been following the NBA uh, playoffs as closely as... Uh, I mean, I don't feel like I've been following it as closely as I should because there's been a lot of drama that has been going on that I feel like I'm like, did I miss something? And so, you know, you got Draymond Green getting ejected based on just the body of work. But the one thing that I uh, I wanted to talk to you about and ask is this, is this fighting. Dylan Brooks, flagrant two, where he wound up breaking someone's elbow. Gary Payton the second. Yeah, Gary Payton the second's elbow. Basically, a lot of former NBA players have come out and said, like Chris Mullen, for example, has come out and said, that should have been a fist fight. Like, as soon as he went down on his elbow, that should have been a fist fight right there, which we've talked about on this show a little bit that NBA players used to just be like, oh, okay, let's scrap. So I wanted to get your thoughts on what is going on with Dylan Brooks. I think that it is a bit of an overreaction. I think that the result in an injury is has drawn the outrage that maybe it would be as opposed to if he just falls, takes the hard foul, and that's it. But the fact that he did fracture his elbow, now people have to be outraged because in the same se- in the same series where Draymond Green pulls Brandon Clark down to the ground, he catches himself and Draymond kind of helps his fall slightly. But if he holds his hand out maybe like fractures his wrist are people holding Draymond to that same standard that oh this has been an outrage but I think that the result causes for the outrage that we're seeing here and Dylan Brooks Adrian Rosanowski has just tweeted out that Dylan Brooks is going to be suspended for game three between Memphis and Golden State this Saturday so the NBA is also taking note of how outraged people are saying that oh this should have been a fist fight in the 80s and 90s this wouldn't have happened But he is being punished because I do think of all the outrage that he has received for, for me, I think, was just a flagrant foul, get him out of the game. But I don't think it was that big of a deal. Well, it's also, yeah, like, you fell weird. Like, had he, like, drove you into the court and broke your elbow, that's one thing. Like, it it was a flagrant foul. None of us disagree with that, but you don't, you don't go to hurt people. That's at least my thoughts. All right, and I'd like to thank our guest today, Justin Gaethje, as he's going to take on Charles Oliveira this Saturday at UFC 274. Sam Gordon from the Las Vegas Review Journal. He did an excellent job breaking down the Shakur Stevenson fight, and Canelo is also this weekend here in Las Vegas, and you don't want to miss that. And the funk master, Aljamain Sterling, for joining me as well. This has been The Fight Game, and I thank you, Jared Justice, for joining me today on the show. This has been The Fight Game with Damon Cotton on 1230 The Game. Be safe, everybody.